Hello everyone and welcome to another podcast episode. Now before we get into this, I'd just like to update you on the many, many different things that we've got going on that are all very exciting. Now this podcast is released on YouTube and also your usual podcast app. I hope you're following along on those platforms. And we've also recently launched a Something to Say YouTube channel where people are sharing their stories via video format. And we've also extracted the audio for the podcast version too. So you can find that under Something to Say Official. And of course, as you know, we're on all social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and TikTok. So go and search us there and press follow on all those platforms because social media will not show you everything that we release. We're posting every day. So I want you to stay informed and stay equipped and stay up to date with all the latest announcements that we make on those platforms. So thank you so much. And I hope you enjoy this podcast episode. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast episode where we we are bringing on experienced guests who are doing incredible work in different areas of this topic, because we've all got a goal, and that is to understand this in a more deeper way, understand what methods are available to us to prevent this from happening to children in the first place. And that is our major, major goal here on this podcast. And that's why every time I come across a guest that I feel has something interesting to say. I want to just have the conversation. And I know lots of people that listen to this podcast enjoy these conversations. So today I have brought on Christopher and Alison onto the podcast, and they're going to explain more of the work that they do. But first of all, thank you both for coming on and having this conversation with me. Thank you for having us here. Brilliant. So Christopher, could I please ask you to start with just introducing myself and the audience to the work that you're doing? Sure. Um, we're a research group located at Karolinska Institutet in Stockholm, Sweden. And we're around 10 to 15 people working in international collaborations. In total, I think we're around 40 researchers actually in different countries. And um, our work is to try and prevent child sexual abuse and exploitation by reaching out to those individuals who are worried about their urges towards children to see uh, if our uh, interventions such as psychotherapy and medicines can help them from refraining from acting out their fantasies. So we've done that now for a decade and we have some really interesting and nice results, I think, this far. Okay, amazing. Sounds incredible. You mentioned that you've been doing it for a decade. So I can only imagine 10 years ago, the conversation around this uh, this area was just not being had at all compared to now. I, I mean, even now it's not really being had, but can you tell us a little bit about the change you've seen in that decade? Well, from my perspective, I think one of the major changes is that people now feel... Um, uh, have a feeling of like hope that there is it is possible to, to make a change that preventing child sexual abuse is actually possible. There are so many convincing examples now. And so and we start to add up a number of relevant studies indicating the same conclusion that it is possible to prevent child sexual abuse and exploitation. Yes, and I love the way that you use the word hope because um that's the word that we should use. Um, because otherwise, I believe if we just sit there and say that people are evil and they will do evil things, I mean, that's not working towards the prevention of of the crime actually from happening. That's not very productive. And I was an engineer before I did this work online. And so I'm all about problem solving. I'm all about looking at a structure or a mechanics and finding the weak points and making sure that it doesn't fail moving forward. And so um, I like... Um, the approach that you've you've explained there. Um, Alison, can I ask you um, if you could introduce yourself to and what part you have to play in this in this work? Yeah, so my name is Alison McMahon. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist um, here at Karolinska Institutet as a doctoral student. And I've been working as the project coordinator for Prevent It Too. Um, I've actually been working with Christopher now for almost over five years. 
So that's quite exciting. Amazing. So I was there in the beginning with Prevenet One, uh, working as a therapist in that project. Um, and then when, when that concluded, I led the manual revisions. And now I'm coordinator for Prevenet Two in English, the, the global English version of that. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much. And you've mentioned this Prevent, is it Prevent Two? Yeah, Prevent Two. Okay, is that one of the parts of the, the work or the research? Yes. So Prevent It 2 is a cognitive behavioral therapy that we have been developing for individuals who are at risk of committing child sexual abuse, either online or offline. Um, and so the first version was for active offenders who were consuming um, child sexual abuse material online. And then um, at the point of revision, we decided we wanted to act even more preventatively. Uh, so we designed that the Prevent It 2 program to offer help to individuals who were just worried about their urges toward children, their sexual urges toward children. Okay, brilliant. So my mind would like to talk a little bit more about like what what even would the techniques be um with that particular part of the program but just before we do that or if we do that can i just ask um christopher is this an area that you think is worthwhile going into for this conversation or is there something else that you think we should talk about first no, it's definitely something we can talk about i mean it's an ongoing trial and we're actually reaching out to people as we speak, we want more English-speaking participants, so it is a relevant topic, I think. But if you want to, we can also put it in a larger context and talk about other, like, previous and planned studies as well. Yeah, okay, let's do that first, and then, um, yeah, let's do that first. That's that's better. So if you could, can I, can I hand over to you then to talk about it in a more broader sense? Yeah, sure. The idea to this Prevent It program actually came from the clients themselves. Uh, in the previous study, uh, in which we tested a pharmaceutical, we also did in-depth interviews because we noticed that most of the clients are in their mid-30s when they come to seek our help. However, they've had their thoughts around children since their teenage years. So it means that they have been walking around often very alone with their thoughts around 20 years before they decide to seek help. So we want to know how can we make them seek at an earlier age because mm. uh, during these 20 years, much can happen. Uh, so we ask them, how do you think we should do to make you um, come into treatment like uh, much earlier? And then several of them mentioned, don't sit at your offices waiting for us to come to you because there are so many barriers. Um, you should come to, to where we are instead. Okay, so where are you? <laughs> and then they started to explain and describe to me all of these online dark web forums where wow. they meet and chat and exchange uh, child sexual abuse material and talk and fantasize together about hurting children. So we decided to set up a project in which we um, entered these forums and started to interact with them and uh, invite them to online anonymous therapy globally. So that's wow. where we started. And now we see the results. You know, you should listen to the client because now the clients we get, they are instead in the, like in the twenties instead. So uh, they come to us after only a few years of thoughts around children. So we have a much better opportunity now to actually do something to prevent children from being harmed and from helping them to, you know, uh, have a much better lives themselves too. Okay. Wow. Okay. So when you go to these places where people who have these thoughts in their head are communicating with others with the same thoughts, you are communicating with them in some way and, and saying, look, we are, we are these people and we are here to help you. Um, please understand that this support will be valuable to you to not commit the crime in the first place. So then people are seeing you, however you're doing that with them on, on the dark web. And then they're approaching you. But where's that? Is there an ethics issue here? Because you've witnessed them talk about that type of thing. Is there a mandatory reporting thing? Like, how do you get around that? There's a lot of ethical and legal challenges. 
uh, we were also the first who actually did this to mm. that entered with uh, like medical research into these forums and did it globally and anonymously and all mm. so we have had uh, several um, challenges to to try and solve and get our heads around what is actually the best thing to do here what is like uh, is this really you know good from from a child we what we've decided is to to go to take it all from a child rights perspective so we've collaborated with an advisory board with members from child rights background mm. from, but also from uh, law enforcement background and mm. prison and probation services like representatives as well as uh, representatives from the client group so we've had like an advisory board with all these voices around the around the same around the table at the same time so in dialogue with them we developed this project but I think we actually managed to find like a way through all of this that is ethically sound, that is in line with uh, like um, uh, international guidelines for conducting research and also that is legally uh, correct. We do have, we do follow like uh, our national legislation when it comes to mandatory reporting if we get to know about uh, ongoing crimes or crimes planned in the near future. And we also make... Uh, notifications of concerns to social authorities if, if we get to know of an identified child that is at risk of being harmed. So we we adhere to all these legislations, but we still manage to get these people to actually seek our help. And to, um, because in, in the, you know, if we take away all the complicated stuff around, it is a human being suffering from an ailment, psychological ailment that he has not chosen himself, who wants to have help from like a professional and we provide that help yes. and we we uh, do it in a way that protects children and also the adult man with his problems mm. who he often has the suicidal thoughts and uh, lots of anxiety so there is a reason from him for him to to seek our help and and he, he in the end of the program most often he says that he feels helped and that uh, the risk or any ongoing behavior against children has reduced significantly or stopped at, totally. Mm -hmm. Okay, amazing. Alison, are you involved in that part of the project? Yeah, so with the Darknet recruitment. Yes. Yes, so under the um, Prevent It One trial, I think that's when we really developed the method for um, recruiting on the dark net because at that point like Christopher said no one had really done that before um, so we didn't really even know what we were getting into at that point either so a lot of that was going on to different forums and as you said kind of posting a statement about you know this is who we are we're researchers at Karolinska we have this program we're here to uh, you know help you if you're feeling um, you know, conflicted about these uh, behaviors that you're that you're doing. Um, and so we would go out and in the very beginning, I remember that we were just getting kicked out of these forums all the time. <laughs> yeah, I can um, imagine, yeah. yeah, because I mean, when you're on these different forums, the whole point is to be anonymous and secure and and it is a group that is committing um, a crime. And so they're they're obviously really concerned about the consequences of being caught. Mm. Uh, so the instant gut reaction is that these people are definitely the police. Yes, uh, yeah. <laughs> So, so in the beginning, we we really got kicked out and we we learned new ways to kind of go about it. And then over time, we built up a reputation as well, because some people did try it. And then they kind of reported back that it was an, you know, an actual therapy, that the therapists were um, uh, actually trying to help them with uh, the behaviors and they were supportive of, of them making a change and all of this kind of stuff. So over time, that reputation grew to a wow. point where we started um, actually getting put on different support communities as wow. a suggestion. Wow. Um, and, that, and that's helped us so much in Prevent It Too as well, because when we came back, we actually had, um, I remember we hadn't even started posting about Prevent It Too, but we, we opened the website just to kind of check through different things. And there were instantly people signing up because they were like, oh, I missed Prevent It One, and wow. I've been waiting for this program. So it, it was kind of amazing that uh, we we started at you know a certain point getting kicked out and all this mm. stuff to a point where they they actually do trust mm. us in our program and our work mm. okay and um definitely reason for you and your team to be proud of that um because you're making great moves in that space yes. such a contrast 
we feel proud, uh, but also um, at the same time, let's not be naive. I mean, this is not the silver bullet that solves the whole problem. We right. reach out to uh, a couple of hundreds of individuals. There are tens of thousands out there. And um, so it's a long way to go. And, but, and our strategy is working, but it is only it should only be considered as one of many strategies that needs to be implemented we need to collaborate in society this should be considered a public health problem we should like collaborate from uh, on different levels of society and with different like authorities and stuff but this uh, seems as one uh, promising strategy at least when it comes to prevention well said excellent we need to collaborate as a society i completely agree what you just said was very very powerful okay so when you manage to get somebody onto your program they come forward and they say yes i'd like to interact with it in some way what happens then okay yeah so whenever an individual goes to the the website they can sign up for an interview time um, and at that point they're linked with a therapist and once it gets to their interview, they can have a live chat discussion. So again, the whole point of this program is that they're, we're, we're lowering the barriers to treatment and we're allowing um, a completely anonymous uh, therapy. So everything is chat-based or messaging-based on the platform. Um, so whenever they enter into the, the interview, they're just asked different questions about you know inclusion and exclusion criteria, but then also about their mental health and about the problems that they've been facing, what they're worried about their their current urges um, and, and that kind of thing so once they go through this process they're either included or excluded from the program and if they're included uh, we are controlling uh, the the study so it's a cognitive behavioral intervention um, CBT uh, versus a wait list so they're either randomized into one of those different arms and if once they enter into the CBT therapy, they are given access to the first module. And the treatment itself, it's about um, two months long, so nine weeks. And the participants get access to new material each week where um, it's a short video. Uh, there's a treatment chapter that they can read through each week. And then they complete different exercises. So throughout the week, they're testing new behaviors, testing new ways to manage their uh, trigger situations or risk situations. And they're reporting back the, you know, what they've found out works for them or if, if they need to adjust things, for example. Um, and, and once they submit those worksheets, their therapist replies and, and they can go through and give feedback. So that can be very, you know, validating for the, the patient to see someone going mm. through their work mm. and um, validating that the, the effort that they're putting in because therapy is a lot of work. Mm. Um, so that, that's really important. And then if the, the patient is struggling with anything, we can, we can also help uh, in that regard as well. Amazing. Christopher, is there anything you'd like to add to that? Um, if there's not, there's no pro problem. No, I mean, question. one thing I know that the clients really appreciate is to have a personal therapist to follow them through a two-month period of their lives in which they've decided to make a change. Uh, a professional therapist who is really there for them to um, to make sure that this journey is as uh, like efficient and safe as possible. And I know they really appreciate that. And they rate our therapies with, with very high um ratings so mm. so that's good um uh, but uh i yeah no so that's um yeah what, what yeah. i could say is maybe that we have other ongoing programs but we can okay so, but yeah. before you before you yeah. we move on to those yeah. which i do want to i know that a large section of my audience will be thinking in their head as they've been listening to us talk so far and being like, you can't change them. You can't rehabilitate mm. them. They will always be evil. Mm. What is your immediate response to the large amount of the population that have that approach to this currently? 
I can maybe start by saying yeah. that I feel like the the patients that we get in, the reason that they they want help is because they do feel a lot of shame and a lot of guilt um, for looking at a CSAM, for example, or having these urges or thoughts. And the reason that a lot of these behaviors have culminated is because they haven't been able to get help because they felt so much shame and they can't tell the the their support systems, um, their family or friends. They feel very alone in these thoughts and so I think that that is why this therapist um, connection uh, is so important this therapeutic alliance because they're actually able to talk with somebody who can give them feedback and actually motivate them to make those changes because uh, right now a lot of the patients that we're seeing especially if they're coming from these dark net forums the only people that they've really been able to talk to about these uh, sexual urges or behaviors are people who are also mm. doing them right um, um, and so they they need some some sort of support to to make those changes in their daily life. And like Christopher said, this is this is not the only solution yes. to this problem, but perhaps this can lower some of the barriers for seeking further help even after they go through prevent it because they can see um, you know healthcare can support these kind of issues or we can lower the behaviors or urges enough where they can start getting help for for other issues in their life and that that can lead to maintaining the changes that they're making currently. Okay, so let me just quickly come in here and then I'd like to pass to Christopher too on his thoughts on that. Um, do you think it's useful for us to um, think about people who either are thinking about offending or have offended in some kind of spectrum where you have some people who just don't care and will just continue doing what they're doing, even if they see a prison sentence, they're coming out and they're just continuing to try to get away with it? Or you have some people at the other end of the spectrum that recognize they've got something very dangerous in their head and want to do something about it immediately. Now, do you think it's useful if we if we re remind ourselves that we have a, for lack of a better, I don't think spectrum is the correct word, but let's use it just for now. We have a spectrum of people and that program that you've explained currently is going to really appeal to the people that want to do something about it. And they're they're an important uh, uh, part of this puzzle because if we can get them to never uh, re uh, give into the temptation completely we we save this crime from happening to children any thoughts christopher i think spectrum is a good word i use it myself okay okay students there is a spectrum uh from going from very light gray to extremely black right and and um uh, pessimistic uh, and um, uh, we see them, uh, we, see, yes. we see people from all over the spectrum. Um, and um, let's be honest, I mean, some people like what they're doing. Some mm. people are not troubled at all. And some people um, enjoy hurting others to the, to the extent that they are not interested in therapy at all. And some are actually ideologically convinced that this is a good thing to do when they want to propagate this as to, almost like a like an idea they want to convince others about that this is the right thing to do to, to hurt children this way. Uh, and there are activists in this field too. Uh, but if you look at it from another perspective, over, over a lifetime, most of these individuals, also the very... Uh, also, the ones in in the in the um, more pessimistic end of the spectrum have moments in their life, or almost all of them have moments in their lives where they feel that this is maybe not a good thing after okay. all. Not least in the in the younger years when they start to uh, um, discover these thoughts uh, in their mind for the first time, and they think they understand that I'm a bit different than my friends. Mm. I, I I'm still interested in the, in the little girls uh, in mm. pre from at kindergarten, while my friends start to have girlfriends from from you know in the in the same class, etc. So they start to feel something is a bit odd here. And, and in the start, there is a window of time. I think we can reach out to these individuals. And I think we need to like have that in mind when we design our healthcare for them. And also, if we have done interview studies where we ask them, why do you seek care? Why, why do you, did you decide to, to come to us and sign up? 
And um, quite often it is that something has happened. You know, someone has uh, caught them having material on their computer. Uh, someone has, you know, the police has knocked on the door or something, or the wife has said, either you go to treatment or I will divorce you. Something, you know, externally has happened. And okay. in that moment of time, they're also quite interested also. And then our studies, they have limitations. We don't have long-term follow-up. We know what happens in a couple of months uh, during the treatment and after, but we don't know what happens like after five years or 10 years. Do they relapse? Wow. To what extent, et cetera? And that is an important research question for us to know what happens in the long term. And um, uh, But I, I also want to uh, make clear that the ones who seek our help, they're not only the ones who are, you know, little, day, you know, maybe thinking about this in an anxious way. We also get the ones who are really, really uh, dangerous to children, that, that do really, really severe things to children. So just, it's not the same thing. The yes. ones who are most dangerous, who are less, least uh, in, interested in treatment. That's not actually the same thing. Right, okay. But wow. I also, as a comment to your first question, yes. Um, um, when I started this uh, program, prevented uh, together with Alison and, and the rest of the team, my my assumption was that talk therapy wouldn't be too effective. Actually, I will, I am a bit um, skeptical to 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 talk therapy with these kinds of um, uh, problems, at least in the start. Because I think uh, sexuality is such a hard thing to to change. Just with talk, just um, think of when someone is unfaithful to their partner, mm, mm. they can have all kinds of good moral arguments the whole lifetime, and you can be a good person, and still some people are unfaithful, and that is just on a very everyday level. Yes. Then imagine being uh, like a serial uh, sex offender against a child. I mean, can can words change that? Is is that mm. really a, like? Mm. A, is that really a realistic thing to 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 think? Uh, so that was why we decided to to challenge our hypothesis with the most robust and hard scientific uh, challenge as possible. So they were randomized to either our intervention or to a placebo intervention. So we really pushed uh, our research question from as hard as possible. But still, in the end, we found that it was actually effective. Almost half of them quit totally. And the ones who were still active in the end uh, with watching child sexual abuse material, they had gone from like seven hours a week to maybe one hour. And the material they choose was um, uh, uh, was going from extremely severe to uh, in, in the lighter end of yeah, the spectrum. Yeah. So it really made a change. And I, I must trust my own. Yeah. I must trust our own uh, data. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So in some circumstances, um, let me let me start again. It would be unrealistic for us to think that we can just stop everybody from doing this immediately, even just small incremental changes like reducing the amount of hours that they're watching every week, reducing the type of um, content that they're watching, um, severity wise they're all they're all wins all of them are wins and if we can just pick up all of these win, wins along the way continue picking them up then we're, we're actually moving forward instead of just shouting at the computer screen saying kill them lock them up throw, throw away the key right let's let's be proactive with this so i'm very pleased and um interested in what you're saying can um would you like to talk about you've mentioned that there are actually other areas apart from the one that we've just discussed um, in, in your work. Uh, please, please, I'd love to hear more about it. Yeah, this research field is in a very early stage. It's, there's a lot of things to, to um, investigate. One of them is what works for whom and when. Some people are helped with uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, as Alison described. We know that. Some are also helped by uh, the pharmaceuticals we test, but we don't have a clear picture who is benefiting the most from what kind of intervention. So that is like a, 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 an overarching question we have. So therefore, we test different kinds of interventions in different populations and different uh, cultural landscapes and different comorbidities, etc. 
So uh, we have a number of clinical trials ongoing now to, to, uh, to investigate this. So we test um, um, three different kinds of uh, more psychotherapeutically based uh, programs. One is what Alison described, another is uh, based on self-help and a third on motivation interviewing. Then we test um, different kinds of combinations of pharmaceuticals too, to see, you know, to, to tailor the treatment um, as good as possible. And in order to not have that uh, nowadays quite uh, common situation where someone seeks help and then they go through different kinds of interventions and it can take years before they find what is actually working. And maybe by that time they have been demotivated and, yeah. and uh, uh, lost hope in healthcare. So we want to, you know, being able to recommend the best thing <laughs> from the start. Yes. That is something we're working quite much with. Okay. Um, the pharmaceutical side of it. Can we talk a little bit more about that, please? Yes, yeah, sure. Um, so um, mm, what we have uh, discovered in our group is that um, certain kind of pharmaceutical that works by uh, quickly reducing the levels of testosterone uh, is very efficient in uh, reducing the risk for uh, child sexual abuse and repeated child sexual abuse and um, um, the medicine works in just one or two days it, you, you have uh, almost non-detectable levels of testosterone left after only one injection because it is an injection and then uh, after two weeks the risk has reduced significantly and the higher risk you had from the start the more effective the the, the medicine is and then the risk continues to reduce um, uh, the longer the pharmaceutical uh, can work. One injection lasts uh, uh, three to four months. You don't need to repeat the, the um, injection. And uh, in the end of that period, the risk is actually quite low for, for committing child sexual abuse. And what is good in all of this is that when you ask the participant how they felt, what they subjectively experienced from the treatment, they are very positive. A majority want to repeat the injection because it, they feel it has helped them in their private lives so much. And uh, what it um, uh, and they would like to recommend it to others. And what what they feel is most helpful with the injection for their own sake is that their like hypersexuality, their almost compulsive uh, and obsessive thoughts around sex uh reduces to a manageable level and also actually the sexual interest in children itself uh wanes off to the level that they don't feel uh that they are uh, that they can see a child uh, <laughs> walking down the street and not having sexual thoughts around it so it's um it was yeah it was very uh good news when the results were uh, available of course and it um uh it has been i now get letters from all over the world that they use this medicine for for especially for the high risk individuals mm. and uh, yeah so that's a uh, one pharmaceutical okay so why <clears throat> the question that comes to my mind is why uh, do we or would we use that injection as like the first step for everyone like as soon as you come forward you take the injection because yes. uh, would we it, it, would that even be a conversation would that even be Something oh, uh, a very good thoughts, and uh, that was the design in that particular trial, and it worked really well. And uh, but the thing is, then you need to have someone uh, showing up at the clinic, uh, showing their ID card, and saying, "I would like help, and I have sexual interest in children." And uh, yeah, of course, uh, I mean it should always be a dialogue between the doctor and the client, and they should have the opportunity to say no and to you know be yes. suggested something else, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, I think with that kind of treatment uh, in the background, then you can add psychotherapy and you can add different things. But it it is it makes you uh, it makes you feel calm as a therapist mm -hmm. and as a doctor if you know that this is working in the background. Yes. Yes. Okay. Alison, is there anything you'd like to say? Um, or have to say on this um, pharmaceutical side of things? Um, I think that the, the studies that Christopher uh, has been doing with that has been amazing. And I'm really excited because I know that there's a, another one in the works where they're going to look at different combinations to see about testing this in, the, in a more long-term 
way. And I think that that has the potential to have some real big impact because um, like Christopher said, I, I think even in Prevent It, we get participants who are, are asking um, about medi medical options and, and where they can um, maybe come and, and get uh, those kind of interventions, but they're just not widely available right now. So I think that the more research we do on these things and um, the more availability that there is, the, the better that the treatment outcome is going to be. And, and one of the other things that Christopher said that I really agree with is that um, even, even therapy and and looking at different risk factors and trying to uh, decrease, decrease the, the risk to um, give in to certain urges, those exercises can be so much more effective if someone does have uh, some type of medication that is changing their their urge level. And we, we see that even in working with, you know, someone with a high amount of depression, you know, if they take an antidepressant uh, for a certain period of time, then they go and they do the, the psychological um, component of going to therapy. They actually have the energy and the ability to do that work. And, and we see that with our patients sometimes. The, the urges are too high or the hypersexuality traits are too high that they it, they find it difficult because everything is triggering. Right. So the ability to take that down and then put in the work mm. could be really amazing. Okay, so we have two um, uh, methods here, the, to the, the, th the therapy and, and the medication. And in some situations, the combination of both will be fantastic, um, but there are complications in the 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 pharmaceutical side because the person actually has to come forward in person not just behind the computer screen that's the next level of um, um, progression for that person on this journey can I ask about any limitations that your work faces with regards to the ages of people um, the the people who you are approaching you if they are under 18 over 18 is there is does that add any complications um, I would say in prevent it we um, only allow patients who are 18 or older um, and we have had to exclude uh, a few individuals because they've come to us under the age of 18 and so that that's kind of unfortunate because you don't want to exclude anyone who is seeking help um, but I, I think that we've been trying to look into the possibilities of creating a program that could maybe be for individuals under 18, because that is a, where a large uh, portion of child sexual abuse happens is from um, persons under the age of teen, maybe around like from 15 to 18. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And to try to get some form of information into schools i think would be uh, a great achievement for us i don't think schools would be anywhere near or in my experience of visiting schools would be anywhere near ready to have a conversation to their students about their harmful sexual behavior in 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 in, in um what they're doing or in their mind i don't think they're ready for that in in my experience from visiting schools it's all about the discussion is all about what to do if you're been sexually abused um and you know my frustrations are huge with that because it's very reactive it's yeah. you know what i mean and and i'm pulling my hair out with it yes. all at the moment with schools um i mean yeah I let me just let me yeah let me just ask you the question mm -hmm. have you ever thought about schools at all yeah, I think it should be, uh, you know, possible to go to your school nurse and talk about these things. That is one aspect of the discussion around stigma. That, mm. of course, it should be extremely black and white when it comes to the norms uh, regarding sexual violence. Uh, it should be totally clear to everyone that there are no like uh, grayscales uh, in between that all, all of um, sexual violence is wrong, but it should be allowed and accepted to go and talk to someone if you have impulses around that. Uh, so uh, if a school nurse or um, people who meet in child and adolescent psychiatry clients uh, that you know seek their help for some sort and they start to th talk about these things, 
they should it should be totally normal to you know recommend them some kind of preventative interventions or just to have a quick checkup with an adult to talk about these things to uh, I, I i cannot see why i cannot see why they don't do it um but yeah yes yes we will continue pushing forward hey so we talked about two areas of your work pharmaceutical side and therapy side are there any other um elements of it you'd like to talk about yeah we do all kinds of research actually around this we also do brain imaging for example oh fascinating the neurological um, basis of uh, child sexual interest and uh, pedophilia Mm. what what does it come from because um, most of our clients say i did not choose this i mean i just discovered it when i entered puberty so where did it come where does it come from so we try to map out and find neurological uh, background to pedophilia and we see there are indications that this has maybe been established uh, already from a very early age could be even uh, from the time of birth something around there to see what actually leads up to pedophilia yeah so that is another branch of our research Okay, so you with the brain scans, you mm. then have to have people come in so you can scan or okay. Yeah. <clears throat> and you are seeing any um commonalities or I mean this is really interesting. So you, you, what 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 are you seeing in, in, in these brain scans or are you seeing anything? Yes, we've um uh published a few studies around that and there are a few in pipeline too but uh, there we, there seem to be like a brain signature uh, correlating to pedophilia that is not linked to other things they also have such as depression and uh, autism problems and uh, other you know criminal thoughts it, it seems to be actually uh, linked to the pedophilia itself and that is really interesting okay can you just for myself actually and and the audience can you give us um when you say pedophilia is that a diagnosis is that a definition what what's the information around that particular word when i say pedophilia i refer to a pattern of sexual urges involving prepubescence okay and you need to be adult yourself and the children should not have entered puberty and you have had that for like a couple of years at least but that is uh, not in the diagnostic manual. Uh, you can have that without having a diagnosis of pedophilic uh, disorder or something. It, it is when it is combined with suffering or act, impulses of acting out or actual uh, offenses, that is when you can label it with a di- psychiatric diagnosis and you call it pedophilic disorder. Okay. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, a few okay. different uh, distinctions there. And that's useful for us because the more I do this work, the more... I have been, I have seen and been shown that the terminology we use is extremely important. Like when I first started doing this work, I would use the word child porn. I was ignorant to what that actually meant or, or the, the, the the proper definition behind it. And so now I use CSAM or, or child sexual abuse material. So that's important for us. We're all trying to learn uh, as we go. Um, Alison, anything you'd like to say about uh, the brain scans or that area of the project? Um, I, I'm not involved with the, yeah. the brain scan uh, part of the projects, but I think that it is really interesting and I think it's going to lead to a lot of interesting discoveries as well. I agree with you completely. And I think um, that the research that you're doing around the brain scans is is great for us to see um to see that actually um there's something for some for some people there's actually something going wrong or malfunctioning up 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 in the brain and that that makes it um very serious it's not just like somebody wakes up one morning and decides that actually this is what they want to do you know um for some people it's something that's been festering uh, for a long time and maybe we need to start thinking about helping or supporting that or working with that person um to to ensure that they never commit the crime it's so difficult because the the the, the words that we use are so triggering for people just these these words that i just used there supporting helping 
are, are two words I used to use initially. And I've actually stopped using those words because people don't want to hear it. People don't want to help. People don't want to support. People don't want any money thrown at these people. Don't, people don't want to see centers built for these people. people. People don't want to see therapists working with these people. So actually, I use just the word working with now. So I don't use the help. I don't use the support because, you know, on my platform, sometimes I get huge backlash um, for showing any empathy right that's what i get a lot of backlash from and I, I i don't think it is me showing empathy i think it's me understanding that our goal is to get to these people before they commit the crime celebrating once we've found out the crime and putting these people in prison and like that being some kind of celebration as if we achieve something i think is completely incorrect like if we're going to celebrate when the crime has been found out and we've got this person in prison in my eyes we're late we're late to the situation there um so it's not a celebration it must be a reminder that we're doing we're not getting there quick enough um do you also have to be very careful with your terminology when you speak to the general public or on forums about this work I, I would say, because I, I completely agree with you, there are different levels of prevention. And, you know, when you're working with primary prevention, uh, and you touched on this already a little bit, but when you're working with that primary prevention, trying to uh, stop sexual violence before it occurs, and uh, by addressing, you know, root causes or risk factors, um, that, that is going to be things like educational programs in the schools, like you mentioned, community outreach, um, working with legislation, like those kind of different things and and our program it kind of goes across different levels of prevention so uh, because we we also reach out to individuals who have already acted in some sort of way on their sexual urges um, but we we are also targeting um, that primary mm. uh, prevention before an act occurs as well because mm. our ultimate goal is to try to reach these individuals before anything occurs and I think a big part of that is exactly what you say is having some sort of support in place having these education programs that are decreasing the stigma of getting help because that's one of the, the the reasons why uh, people will avoid reaching out to healthcare before committing a crime, because if it goes on long enough and they are feeling the stigma, they're feeling worried about getting reported or or anything, if they reach out to healthcare, um, then then they're just going to keep going until these their urges might get too high, their curiosity gets too high, and then they start engaging with these sexual urges because they feel alone and lost and, and all of those um, very uncomfortable feelings. So if we can decrease some of the stigma for, for getting help early before anything occurs, then we can potentially prevent a lot of, of uh, sexual violence. So powerful. Thank you so much. Could we talk a little bit about uh, your vision for the future, please? I think that would be very interesting to hear what you're thinking of coming up, what you've got coming up, where you're trying to take things and where you see yourself moving forward year on year. Um, what I would like to um, establish in society is the view that this is a public health problem that... Uh, we need to uh, collaborate in society, different authorities, different uh, view on things and different uh, you know, actions uh, involving private sector, tech companies, social media companies, uh, and uh, also, um, uh, I, I hope we get attention from politicians in that way, and that we place this uh, on, on on a level where we where we believe it is preventable, but without any naivety, without any, you know, um, empty words. Uh, let's do it, this in a proper way and let's dedicate the resources that matches the level of the problem too. Because uh, I don't think there is a general view among decision makers. Uh, they, they don't seem to really understand uh, either how, how, how severe this problem is, how common it is, how, how many people that are hurt uh, maybe with lifelong consequences and they don't seem to really understand that this is something we can do something a, a, a about and uh, it takes international collaborations too but it is not impossible at all i think uh, there are some like positive now uh, indications that it seems to be a, an awakening among uh, decision makers at least in europe and in the european uh, union 
and I hope they have the courage and the, like the um, uh, perseverance to to reach a result in this. Uh, and um, that is what I would like to achieve. Excellent, Christopher. Oh, you're, you're just um, so encouraging. Um, that's so, so encouraging. Alison, um, and yourself, your work within this work, um, your your where you'd like to see it go or or the vision that you and your team have for the future? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I second everything that Christopher just said. I think everything that we have been working towards with this research group, it's it's been an amazing process because we have expanded into so many different areas and into so many different types of research over the even just the last five years that I've been working in this group. And that's amazing to see because I, I do feel very hopeful that we are able to start targeting these issues from a lot of different perspectives. And I think I think that is kind of what I am I'm seeing us continuing on to do is looking at um, especially with the the prevention of sexual violence, trying to target it from a lot of different perspectives and um, accessing different levels of that prevention. So looking at the primary, secondary and tertiary prevention options and and learning more about all of the different factors that lead toward uh, sexual violence and, and how, as Christopher said, how we can actually do a proper risk analysis for individuals and help them um, come in contact with the intervention that would be most effective for them, I think is so important. Amazing. Thank you so yeah. much. And I can also add, if you zoom out to the big perspective, um, maybe put it in a historical context as well. I think uh, when we look back on the time we're in now, like in 10 or 20 years from now, and we look back what what did what happened during these years when all these initiatives and research projects were running and, and um, we were discussing these things. I think that um, one major achievement from what we're doing now is that we understand that it is possible to do this work uh, with an intact ethical, um, in with, like with the sound ethics based on humanistic values and we don't we can we don't need to leave anyone behind we don't need to you know give up um, on anyone that includes but then we need to work together in society all from prisons to forensic psychiatry yeah. from specialized clinic to to uh, uh, private sector and um, you know we need to collaborate but but then we can do this we can actually do this and I think we have understood that now that we don't need to give up on our basic ethics around uh, our view on people yeah amazing so so encouraging I just want to thank you both for your time today explaining your work thank you for the work that you're doing I feel privileged to be able to have this conversation with you and bring it to my audience because we're all after the same goal, preventing this crime in the first place. Christopher, could you just tell my audience where they can find the work, any websites or anything that they should go to, please? Yes, you can just Google. If you if you write um, bridge, project bridge and e-therapy, for example, or prevent it and e-therapy, you find these. Uh, all the links you need uh, you can uh, you can access the programs for, from wherever in the world you are but you can also go to a web page called helplinks.eu there you find um, all resources in all countries that are now available in, including our programs but also other programs in the same spirit brilliant and we will put all of those links in the show notes, including links to Christopher and Alison, if you need to reach out to them too. And I want to say thank you to both of you for featuring on this podcast. Thank you to everybody that's listening or watching on YouTube for joining me. I hope you found that as interesting and informative as I did. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, so... I wonder how you felt about that podcast episode. What great information and what great ways of thinking that this Prevent It program have with Christopher and Alison. I was actually really, really pleased with that conversation because I thought it was just so productive, well-spoken, great information, as I said, and a great resource and so much food for thought. It will give us so much to think about moving forward. I am trying to evolve this conversation. I am trying to take it places where I've never seen it, to 
taken before. And I hope that you support me in that. So thank you so much for joining me on this podcast episode. And I'll see you again for another one soon. Thank you.